Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And on this week's episode of the podcast, I'm joined by my my good friend, uh, Patrick Bushy, and it's been a while since he's been on the show. So how you been doing, Pat? Been doing pretty well. Just uh, glad to be back and being able to record. Absolutely. Well, hopefully, uh, you know, in the next few months or so, especially once you're done, uh, uh, with your en- uh, enrollment, um, we can get you on the show more often and when you're on a more regular schedule. Um, so in this week's uh, episode of the podcast, we're going to be discussing some, some video game talk uh, briefly and um, some comic book uh, things here and there. And then we're going to go ahead and move into our review of the movie Some Guy That Kills People that's available on Amazon Prime. So, Pat, I gotta ask you: Did you realize that today was Pat, uh, Batman Day? Not at all. I really don't keep up at, with uh, the type of days that come up. <laughs> uh, I think last week there was like a donut day or something. It, <laughs> they all run together. Yeah, we we had a donut day at work, and uh, I can tell you, as you know, I've been I've been um, you know trying to be healthier in my in my lifestyle, and uh, I was not good this week because we had we had donuts. Um, yeah, I didn't realize it. Like I knew it was, uh, the 80th anniversary of of Batman. And I mean, I have the DC streaming service and they've kind of been doing some like, you know, little advertisement stuff for it. But I, uh, totally, totally slipped my mind. But fortunately I got the, uh, box set of the 4k, uh, 1989 through nineties Batman films. So I will definitely be partaking in that. And, it's in the nice steel book. I I, uh, I re- ended up ordering it from Amazon, and I'm not a huge steel book person per se. I've got a couple video game stuff that are uh, steel book, and I got a couple movies that are steel books. But the steel books for the Batman set is gorgeous, and the case it comes in. I'll I'll have to show it to you uh, when we're we're done recording today and uh, get your get your impression on it. But yeah, it, it turns out to be uh, be Batman Day, so I, I got to celebrate a little bit. Um, as we're recording this on Saturday and, uh, it's, um, also wanted to talk about a little bit. I know you haven't been, uh, you know, watching it despite my best intentions of trying to force you to watch, uh, Titans on the DC streaming service. Uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit about the new season and I know, you and I talked a little bit about it um, when they released the trailer last year before, you know, the whole launch and everything. And what were your thoughts from that trailer that for the first season? For the uh, for the first season, I was definitely skeptical. Uh, obviously, with them coming out with this new service, the quality of the entertainment is going to change from definitely anything that was done previously on, like, the CW or uh, or the other shows like Constantine, which ended up going over to CW, sort of, kind of. Really. <laughs> um, but I, I knew that the the quality of entertainment was going to be shifted. Uh, but I haven't, like I, like you said, I haven't gotten a chance to uh, really get around to watching it. Yeah, and you know. Well, yes, that's very true. But, you know, I'm equally much a slacker. You've sent me numerous shows and movies to watch, and uh, I've not gotten around to nearly any of them. So, um, yeah, you know, the first season, it had its rough uh, patches and its growing pains. And also the streaming service has kind of had some growing pains, not so much in its uh, 
in the application in of itself, but just kind of the behind the scenes things with Warner Brothers and and the money stuff going on there. Um, you know, the whole stuff going on with Swamp Thing and that cancellation. And now you've got Warner uh, doing their kind of own big streaming service, which I hope will at least incorporate the DC streaming service uh, instead of letting it go completely. Because really, uh, that first season of Titans was, like I said, it was rough, but it, it had a lot of shining moments. They were doing, uh, you know, some great characterization. They had some fantastic costumes they had some not so fantastic costumes, but um, they they really kind of started finding their footing at near the end of the season. And one thing that happened, and I realized this as watching, um, you know, this new season premiere, they cut last season an episode short. And this season really started with what should have been the uh, season finale for the first season. And so episode one of season two was really kind of that finale episode. And, and it was really good. Uh, it, it definitely started moving things into the right direction. And I know when the season two trailer launched and we got to see the look at the Deathstroke uh, costume and I didn't realize it from the trailer, but now that, I, now that I've seen him on the show, the guy who plays Slade in this is uh, Asai Morales. And uh, if you're not familiar with him, he was in, uh, I believe it was, um, oh gosh, uh, Caprica. Caprica was a, a uh, prequel series to Battlestar Galactica. He was in that, um, playing um, a uh, a um, descendant or not a descendant, um, an ancestor of uh, Adama's character from that show. But he was also in uh, o- the Ozarks on Netflix. He was in the first season of that, and so he's a very talented actor and. Uh, he is going to be a fantastic Slade Wilson and the costume for it is fantastic and three episodes in for the season and it's really really picking up and really moving in the right direction we've had some uh, you know pictures from the set of uh, some episodes that they're still shooting showing um, what looks like the Nightwing costume Uh, now it's only kind of been from the back uh, so we don't know how it'll look in the front, but they've they've done a really good job with with the costumes. Uh, the Robin costume in particular looks really good. So I'm very very optimistic for it. I liked Doom Patrol, um, so and I know Doom Patrol got a season two order and it's going to be on the H, uh, HBO Max streaming service as well. So I'm I'm really hoping that as long as Titans continues to kind of go on this upturn, it seems they found their footing. They've started to take their characters a little more seriously that we'll see more of it here in the future. Um, and while we're still on the DC news, we got some big news this week, uh, for the crisis on infinite earths crossover that's coming up later this year in December. And something that I know you and I both are extremely happy about that Tom Welling will be returning as Clark Kent. Now they say Clark Kent, they don't necessarily say Superman, but Clark Kent for the for the crossover and uh, what are your thoughts on that? I just think that the uh, the nostalgia is going to be what's going to carry that entire crossover. Oh yeah. Um, the quality of entertainment could be whatever, and I'm probably going to like it no matter what. I I, I would agree with you. I I kind of had that thought myself. I was like the the writing and the episode. And the whole way it plays out could be absolute shit. But the fact that we've got all these returning kind of iconic 
characters. We've got Kevin Conroy showing up as an old Bruce Wayne. We've got Burt Ward uh, showing up in some role, uh, and he was Robin in the 1966 uh, Batman show. Um, there were rumors that maybe Mark Hamill might show up. We've, uh, you know, they're they're really kind of pulling out all the stops for this, and I think that's the best way they can do this. And this is going to end up being like a five-hour movie because it's a five-hour crossover, uh, or five-episode crossover event, and uh, it's covering all the shows. You know, we're, they're bringing Black Lightning into the fold. Um, we'll see how Batwoman does in it because you know the trailers haven't been so great for that show right now. But uh, you know, even. Even if this would be technically maybe the end of the CW Arrowverse stuff, I know it's going to be the end for Arrow pretty much, but even if uh, all the shows decline after that, I think that this would definitely be a great way to go out. So uh, I'm definitely excited for it. Uh, I know we got, we're going to have three Supermen in this, and, and there's still hopes that they might get Dean Cain to kind of reprise his Superman. Uh, so that would be that would be fantastic. I mean, I know... He's shown up on on Supergirl uh, a couple times as uh, her adoptive father, and uh, that's also uh, Erica Durance has taken over the role of Alora on uh, Supergirl, but she's still reprising her role as Lois Lane from Smallville. But I don't think we'll see any Allison Mack in there uh, anytime soon. What do you think? <laughs> Jesus, uh, yeah, definitely not. Um, <laughs> I do think that this crossover, they're really going to put the effort into making it good with Arrow ending. I agree. Um, not, not to say that um, maybe he might come back for crossover episodes on other shows, because you never know. Like with, uh, with Arrow ending, they might pull him back for an episode or two here and there. Right for uh, for crossovers. Yeah, and I mean, but, I don't know. Uh, considering, I don't know if you've finished uh, season seven yet or not, but um, I don't know. Considering how they've they did a flash forward and they've kind of have hinted at what his fate is going to be. It, it really is going to be interesting to see how they um, how they go about it moving forward. I mean, it's it's really going to be interesting, and I think uh, Amel will. If given the opportunity, even if it's for an episode or two, uh, I think he would be willing to come back because this this role has kind of really launched his career in in a sense. I mean, not in like really like big movie star fandom, but he's really garnered a huge fan base, and he's um, he's really been profiled as very generous and, and nice and. Um, altruistic person and he's been very thankful he loves his fans um so I, I i would see him coming back if given the opportunity uh in the future for a couple episodes definitely and like i said the uh the crossover i'm sure that's going to be the uh high point for most of the shows oh i'd agree uh, because like you're watching <laughs> You're watching one of the shows and you're like, oh man, I gotta watch the rest of them in order to know what's sort of kind of going on yeah. in them. Minus like Supergirl, because <laughs> I, mean, I kind of just get. Uh, I'll, I'll read the. Uh, 
I'll read the summary of the episodes to know what's going on. Yeah, well, that's why I told you. Really, all of all of Supergirl that you really need to see, other than the previous crossover, is the final couple minutes of the final episode of the last season. Because um, they really kind of, and they've done that so far. I still haven't finished uh, getting caught up on Legends, but uh, they definitely put some stuff in there at the end of Arrow this season, at the end of Flash, at the end of Supergirl. Uh, I would expect, since Legends will be included in the crossover this year, that there will be some type of hint towards that. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's I would even love, but I don't think that they, unless they're keeping this, uh, you know, kind of under wraps, I would love that they would maybe even have some of the uh, DC streaming service characters kind of show up a little bit, just to kind of acknowledge it. But I, I don't quite see that happening. Um, but it, it would be kind of cool. So regardless, what we're getting is going to be pretty awesome. And I know I'm pretty excited. What's going to be the hardest thing for me to do is since I don't watch them live is having to wait. I will probably wait the whole week until everything has aired to then, you know, kind of just binge it in one five hour gap. Uh, cause I don't think I'd have the patience to be sitting there waiting for the next night, waiting for that next episode and then having to sit through commercials or, or stuff like that to kind of bide my time over. But I know I will be gearing and ready for it when it airs here in December. So we're going to go ahead and switch gears a little bit now. And we're going to talk about some video game talk. Now this, these are, uh, some video games that you have not had any experience with, uh, yet uh i'm hoping to maybe somehow still sell you on borderlands at some point but i I, i've been so far unsuccessful but i i have uh gotten a bevy of video games recently and greedfall being one of them as long along with borderlands 3 and uh astral chain on the nintendo switch and i just wanted to give a few kind of brief impressions and borderlands um is pretty much borderlands uh there's been some few tweaks here and there uh the graphics look you know pretty great uh it's it's more of an updated look but it still has the same kind of style as the previous two games or actually previous three games and and it it feels like borderlands i've had some frustrations with it some of the menus uh are are a little annoying especially the skill tree you have, especially for the character I'm playing, I'm playing Flack, who's a Beastmaster, and he can have a, an animal companion with him that he can use in combat. And um, there are three different skill trees, and knowing and being able to understand what available skills there are, or what you're putting your, your points to, uh, to level up on your skills on, it's very difficult to understand and, and understand how to use. But I'm only about... I want to say two or three hours into that, I just managed to get off uh, of Pandora and I'm moving on to the second planet and I've just really kind of started digging into the story. But um, what what do you think of Borderlands? I know, I know you've, you were the one who got me back into it, which is funny enough because I, I, I had kind of dropped the first one and then you wanted to co-op a little bit and that got me interested back into it. But what are your thoughts? I, I gave up probably like a quarter of the way through the second one okay it was getting way too repetitive for me and i just i don't know yeah yeah i was doing the same thing for every single mission yeah you're 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 not wrong there uh it it is very repetitive is pretty much just hey here's a gun just go kill a bunch of of enemies 
Um, but I think what really, and this is an, an up an upgrade I think that they've done in, in the game that I really appreciate. But one of the things that I, I really like about the game itself is the the humor, the the way that they introduce bosses and the in way that they introduce characters and and their opening. Um, cinematic when they introduce all the different vault hunters that you can play as but in this one they at least finally have your character really voiced i mean it your character's voiced in the previous games but they don't really when they're being given a mission they're not really interacting with the mission giver but now they actually have your character so i'm, I'm playing this basically cybernetic life form and you know Black will actually respond to the different dialogue and I mean you don't have dialogue choices but you but you have dialogue as a character which I think is is great um that's one of my negatives about Astral Chain uh and I'm not really far into that I'm still kind of working my way around it I, I know it's been getting a lot of good reviews out there but Astral Chain like the character that if you're playing the female twin or the male twin whichever twin you're playing is completely silent and i don't understand the point of that um it's also got a very complicated control scheme and i don't like that and that's an issue i have with greedfall as well uh when i talk about that here in a second um so it's like i've got to remember what all these different uh, button combinations allow me to do an attack or an attack with my my uh oh what's it called my my legion or, or whatever um but it, it looks great, uh, and I, there's a lot of um, um, lip syncing that's uh, kind of off, and I don't know if it's I need to update it or, or what, or if that's just happen how it happens to be since it's a Japanese video game, and when they do the English dubbing, it doesn't quite line up with, with the mouth movement a whole lot, but uh, it, it's, it, it's a fun game, um, but I probably am going to enjoy the fun of Borderlands 3 a little bit more. Um, but Greedfall is is kind of um, kind of a Witcher successor a little bit. It's it's kind of set in its its own world. It's kind of colonialism. It's it's real world meets magic and uh, but magic it kind of has always been around uh, and it, I've not really delved into it. It's got a very complex um, map system and quest system that kind of it, it frustrates me a little bit i have a hard time following it and then having the amount of back and forth i have to go through to go just to complete one quest line like i'm not even really working on a main quest line right now and i have to go fast travel to this area then fast travel back to the area i was at before then i have to fast travel back to that area again and so it's got to go back and forth between loading screens and that's a little frustrating but the world is is very well designed and stylized uh i don't know why their their character models so much more actually in the, in the faces of the characters why they aren't better than than they are they they look kind of almost like a ps3 uh era graphics a little bit but yet the the detailing on the clothing of the characters is really well done so i i don't I don't know how that happens. Um, that's that's one thing that I find a little bit frustrating with the game, and the combat's a little more complicated too. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. But uh, do you have any inter interest in in any of those games? Oh man, uh, I've, when you said that the controls are complicated, I could just see myself there with like a cheat sheet for. Uh, <laughs> I will say it's it it's it's not as bad like, as Mortal Kombat. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Shit. Well, like the um, the thing with the thing with the Greedfall combat is that it's like it's only square and triangle, but like it, it's it, when you're fighting another like enemy, the the and X is I think like your your dodge mechanic, but then you've got to use your your D pad buttons for if you want to use your pistol or if you need to use a health potion. But uh, the combat, like the combat for Witcher Three, is so fantastic and so responsive. I feel like there's a little bit of the lag on on the um, Greedfall combat, and again, it's got and it, this maybe it's because it's more a more detailed uh, skill tree than I'm used to. The skill tree is very difficult to understand, uh, and especially when you don't get uh, every time you level up, you don't always get certain skill points like you don't always get a skill point but you might get an attribute point or your attribute point your next attribute point won't be for the next two levels but say you want to use the sword uh and you're the right level but you don't have the right attribute um level you can't use that sword so right now i'm waiting till i get to level seven to use the sword that i spent like 300 gold to be able to use a one-handed sword even though currently i can use a one-handed sword so it definitely is going to require you to do a lot of side quests and, and killing missions and just going out and earning a lot of XP. Uh, but I, I'm still interested in it. But, of course, I own too many video games, so I'm constantly switching uh, back and forth. I've got a current rotation of uh, Assassin's Creed 3 Remastered, Borderlands 3, Greedfall... Final Fantasy VIII Remastered, Final Fantasy IX Remastered, Final Fantasy VII Remastered, uh, uh, Catherine Full Body Edition, and Doom right now on the PlayStation. That's just the PlayStation. I got Gears 5 on the Xbox that I'm currently working through. But, uh, yeah, that's that's me. I I buy too many video games and don't have enough time to play them. Um, All right, so... I think that's going to do it on, on the uh, video game talk things. Now we're going to go ahead and and move on into our review of Some Guy Who Kills People, a 2011 movie starring uh, Kevin Corrigan, uh, Barry Boswick, and Karen Black as some of the main characters in that. And I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you a little bit. I want you to talk a little bit about what, what the plot is of the movie. Alrighty, so the plot of the movie is uh, Kevin Corkin's character is a uh, probably like a late middle-aged man. I think they said um, like uh, 34 or 35. Uh, but yeah. yeah, he's he's older than that for sure in real life. Oh, definitely. <laughs> um, but he uh, recently got out of like a uh, insane asylum. And the, the plot of the movie is like he keeps having these flashbacks to uh, a time when he was bullied in probably high school. It was high school. Yeah, high school. school. So it's, yeah. Uh, and it, it's kind of like a dark comedy, I guess. Oh, yeah. It would be kind of Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's, it's nowhere close to a horror film. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's, it's still... comedy in full. It still fits into the horror genre a little bit. It's because it's, it's got a slasher aspect to it. It does. It does, and I like that. It was... Uh, it was very well done, actually. Um, the The plot, um, it, it kind of gave you the vibe that it was going to, um, that he was going to get caught, like, doing all these things. Mm-hmm. And you're just, 
you're just like watching, waiting, because it, it's got two dopey cops in it. <laughs> um, Absolutely. <laughs> every time they're on, every time the cops are on screen, you're like waiting for them to say a horrible pun. Well, yeah, that's the thing. That was like that was one scene I enjoyed the most. Is that uh, the very? I think it's the very beginning, uh, after the first murder. And uh, Barry Boswick is the sheriff, and he's walking with his partner, and, and he goes, oh, man, I got a splitting headache. And the uh, his partner or whatever, his deputy, is starting to come up with axe puns, and, like, he turns to him and goes, what are you doing? And he goes, oh, I, I thought we were doing a thing. And then finally, like, the scene ends, and Barry Boswick does an axe pun. Uh, and it's like, oh, my God, these are these cops are <laughs> ludicrous. <laughs> they, they remind me of the cops from, uh, and I, I don't know how uh, how familiar you are with, uh, I think it's Halloween 5, uh, but they remind me of the cops from Halloween 5. So they're just kind of dopey. Uh, small town cops who ha- are in a situation that's a little bit bigger than a britches. In fact, like Barry Boswick even tells the mayor, like, um, yeah, if you want us to catch this guy, we're going to need outside help. Oh, yeah. And the entire time they're just like <laughs> showing up to crime scenes and not knowing what to do at all. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, the, the, the head one uh, at the drive-thru and they're like, oh man, the head's missing. And then the deputy steps on the head. And he's like, uh, Found the head. <laughs> so, yeah, there was a... And then there's an element there also with... Um, uh, I think his character's name is Ken Boyd. And uh, they uh, kind of introduced this element that he has a daughter that he didn't know about. And I thought that was a very interesting aspect. And it was a very well done aspect of the, of the movie. Uh, I, I thought that the young girl that they had playing his daughter was so likable and uh she had the i don't know her interaction with him was just really good they they had a great chemistry together yeah it, they they did a good job of showing that even though he wasn't raising her that just she she was uh pretty much the exact same oh yeah as him. yeah but, absolutely <laughs> Um, and, and like one, one other thing I do like about this movie and I give any credit to any movie that is, is like this. It's set in Ohio. Um, in fact, I don't know how far outside of, uh, Cincinnati it's set out of, but in fact, when he goes uh, out on the date with, um, Lucy Davis's character, um, or Davies, uh, character, She's like, yeah, I had to get away from Cincinnati. And I'm like, ah, you know, and I noticed the Ohio license plate earlier on at the drive through scene or a uh, uh, drive-in scene. But the uh, the one problem with it is it's filmed in Los Angeles. So you can definitely tell it's filmed in L.A. because it's got like palm trees and stuff like that. Stuff that's not native <laughs> to Ohio by any means whatsoever. But I have to give credit for, for them setting the movie within Ohio because, you know, that's that's my home state and your home state well kind of your home state it's your adoptive home state definitely <laughs> you kentucky boy you uh so um yeah the the kills are 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 pretty interesting and um and a lot of them like they they don't quite they happen on screen but they don't happen on screen um i think uh Two of the two of the ones that kind of happen on screen are the very first two murders: the axe to the head and then the machete uh, decapitation. But a lot of it is kind of done in a way where the lighting's dark, but they still manage to have a good 
blood splatter gore effect that uh, it really is uh, impressive and it leaves a little bit to the imagination like uh, the the death in the truck like you don't see what happens to him but then you get the whole kind of black black back splatter on the uh, windshield and that was uh, I think a really cool effect definitely the uh, I just thought that it was interesting that he kind of did the that the kills were done in a manner that reverted back to when he was getting bullied oh yeah at least for a little bit there yeah yeah, they it definitely um, it definitely wanted to call back to each character's death was somehow related to what thing they did to him back in high school. Now, this was one thing I didn't quite like with what they did on that um, because they have him, Kevin Corrigan, in that beginning scene being the one that's being bullied, and all the kids that are bullying him are you know the younger versions of the the adults that end up getting murdered. And I, I don't know. I had a little bit of an issue from that because, like, I'm like, how am I? I, I had a hard time connecting that this character was that person that did that thing to him, except for some few identifying characteristics, like the guy with the lollipop. Um, you know, that that was something I had an issue with. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that. I disagree because pretty much every single. Every single time there was a murder, it kind of was also done at the same time as, like, a flashback scene. And it was... I thought that it was kind of obvious that which one was doing what. Yeah, I mean... I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of just... With, with the fact that he looks the same, like, from that scene to the future scene, and then these guys look different. Granted, like, yes, that's how it works in real life, but then you don't work that way with him. I would have maybe preferred that they maybe had a younger actor play him uh, being tortured, and then we were seeing the kind of, uh, you know, the grown-up after effect of that. But... That's, you know, to each their own. I, I, I've been a huge fan of uh, uh, Kevin Corrigan. Uh, I can't I guess I can't say huge fan because I haven't seen everything he's been in. But usually anything I see him in, I like him in. And uh, and that all stems from Grounded With Life. He was Uncle Eddie. And he, he was, was he was fantastic on that. So every time I see him pop up in something, um, I always uh, pay attention. And he usually always delivers a very good performance. And I was very impressed with this. Uh, you know, Barry Bostwick was was fantastic as the dopey sheriff who really was more concerned about sleeping with his mom uh, than anything else that was going on in the movie. And then so much to go as far as like warn uh, Ken that he's like, oh, I uh, bought some, uh, you know, exotic oils. So if it starts smelling like eucalyptus at, at your mom's house, you know, it, it's like, what guy does this? Um, and then, of course, you have the great Karen Black play, playing his mom. And, and I thought she was fantastic uh, as well because she did such a like her, her funny moments and then her interactions with, um, you know, the the daughter especially like when the daughter calls her grandma and she goes, nah, that, that makes me sound old and call me Ruth. And then the daughter, uh, daughter goes, well, Ruth makes you sound old. And she kind of gets this like look on her face. Like I like this kid and, uh, you know, and don't, don't screw this up. Uh, when, when she's telling, uh, Ken that, uh, you know, she's at the house. So there, there's, you're, you're very right that it's very much a, a dark comedy, uh, you know, with very, 
slight horror elements um, sprinkled throughout. Uh, you, you definitely have him, you know, seeing that his daughter is definitely kind of a, a, a reflection of him, especially when he goes to catch the last few minutes of the, the basketball practice and she's kind of getting picked on because she's not the best basketball player and the, and the girls are being very mean and pulling on her hair and, you know, saying, well, just because you wear this doesn't mean you're a part of, of the team. So it, it, it definitely hit on a lot of emotional elements. So despite that there was this very strong comedic element to the movie, I thought that there was also some, some very tender, serious uh, pieces within. And I think it was definitely long enough to be able to fill, or to hit all those points. Oh, yeah. Uh, his, his mom definitely showed why he is the way that he is <laughs> to the, just the horrible ways that she treated him. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, and then there, there's just, there are a lot of memorable characters and, and like the, the kind of stepfather uh, guy who's, you know, kind of like the staunch Christian, like Bible thumper. And then, you know, that's how her mom, uh, the daughter's mom, is kind of like, oh, but, you know, Jesus this and Jesus that. And then when she finds out that she has, you know, that her dad's alive and everything, and she's like, well, does Jesus like liars and stuff like that? So, like, there were some really, really well-crafted moments in there. And um, one one, uh, one actor that, that I remembered as soon as I saw him pop up on screen uh, is the first guy who gets killed. Uh, and that actor played Mario in uh, Video Game Reunion. It was a very um, well-done uh, web series. I don't know if you ever saw it, but it was basically the premise of that was the, these, the video game characters like Mario, Zelda, Samus. They were actually all like real people, and then they all kind of get together and show up uh, for this video game reunion thing. It was, oh gosh, I can't remember how many episodes it was, but it, it came out while I was... Uh, in my third or fourth year of college. It was really well done. I highly recommend it. I think you can still find it on YouTube. They were supposed to do a, a sequel series, and I guess, uh, you know, it never went on. But he uh, he did a really good Mario in that, and uh, I'd highly recommend it. Uh, everybody going out and checking out that, that web series. I think you'll have a good time with it. But, yeah, they, they, they kept things pretty much practical. I don't think that they did any... Um, CGI, which in, in an upcoming review of uh, on the podcast uh, when we hit the month of October, that's something I'm going to really hit on because um, that particular movie uses a lot of practical and uh, fantastic effects. But then I know that they were going big and go big, going big or go home type thing. And they used some CGI that they didn't quite have the money to really pay for it to look really convincing. And I'm like, yeah, you should have just like kind of left that out. Uh, so I, I really appreciate a movie like this where it it's very practical. Uh, I think there maybe I don't I can't even think of really any CG effects except no I I really is was there anything that you saw that was CG'd like really CG'd maybe the the drive-in uh, kill. I don't know. I think that it kind of kept it. Uh, just kind of practical props um, type deal. Yeah. Like the blood. But uh, I think 
in, in movies like this, they, they kind of go by a rule of if we can't do good, good CGI, we might as well not do any. Yeah, and that's why I so. think uh, I think that's why they they were clever with uh, you know some of the kills kind of happening in off screen. It was like we don't have necessarily the finances to be able to to make this look convincing enough that if we were to put it on the screen without using some type of CGI effect, it would look really bad. So let's leave it to the imagination of the audience and and let them uh, kind of fill in the gaps of what they think is happening on there. Um, and and the drive in scene I'm, the part i'm really kind of thinking of is like the hand while it's still holding the uh this like the marijuana cigarette um it's kind of moving a little bit and twitching a little bit that might have been a little cg but it didn't look bad that was actually pretty funny too (laughs) that character was annoying though i thank god he was only on screen for like less than five minutes because i if i would have been in in that area with him i probably would have wanted to kill him uh talking like the way he was talking and and doing the things he was doing i would be like nah you're you're done I'm, I'm done with you it's like the killer would have been justified in killing him yeah. even if he never had anything traumatic done to him well and you know that's that's kind of the uh the thing about the movie is that each and every one of the victims uh other than a potential last victim near the end and um, when they, you know, do the final reveal of things, um, they, uh, they all kind of had it coming. You know, they all kind of were horrible people in the first place. Like, even the, the wife of the first victim's like, yeah, he fooled around on me, but I didn't do it. But he was a horrible person type, you know. She had her, that type of scene as well. And... Um, she just didn't want to get uh, pinned with with the crime and they were they were just not not good people you know and because of his slight of doing a comic book that made them all look like chumps when they were younger um or and when they were in all in high school led to them you know torturing him and and one of the like really kind of cool things i like that they did was his relationship with um with lucy davies character because she like when he tells her oh yeah i was in a crazy asylum place uh i'll close my eyes and give you the chance to leave without you know uh without having to worry about anything it's just just like yeah i had a jerk ex-husband who taped me and and screwed around on me so you're fine you know and i i thought that was very very nice and they kind of gave it uh like i said they, they they gave it a lot of care in the writing department like they wanted to hit a lot of emotional highs and lows along with the comedic elements and a little bit of the suspense elements uh and i think they had a nice um nice mixture of all of those elements all together um well i don't think i have anything else to say about the movie um other you know other than to give my review score are there any final kind of thoughts you want want to say uh give it a shot (laughs) well yeah it is streaming on amazon prime right now for free so like like i've said on uh episodes in the past if you're not spending any money towards it you're not wasting anything you got nothing to lose so why not you know it's it's something that 
you can give it a shot and if you don't like it you can always turn it off you didn't waste 399 or 499 um so yeah it's definitely go ahead check it out on prime if you're if you're wanting to kind of look at something that's it's a little bit darker but it's got that got those funny elements uh and it's a little you know on the horror light side a little bit but uh it's definitely an enjoyable flick i think i am going to land on uh, a 3.5 out of 5. I had some minor issues with it, and I, I mentioned to you before um, we started recording, I di- it didn't quite grab me at the beginning. Um, and, and part of it was kind of those flashback scenes where he looks the same then as he does today, and they all were younger versions of themselves. Like, I get that they... I get the purpose behind that, but I really had an issue with it. Um, and so... But it, it definitely won me over probably about within the next 20 to 30 minutes of the movie. And so I, I think that there were maybe some things that they could have done a little bit better. I think they could have left some ambiguity um, in there better. But they did do a good job of succeeding at something that I can't talk about here uh, without spoiling uh, the movie. But uh, they definitely had me thinking one... I Even though I had one original thought, they had me second-guessing myself. And... Even though I ended up being kind of right, I was like, "Well, that's kind of clever. You you managed to make me doubt my my intuition." So, uh, where where do you land on the score? I land at a let's go with a four out of five. Yeah, that's kind of um, what I was thinking. I I went into it with zero expectations. It's funny because I was looking at the the picture that they have for the preview and mm. I was like isn't that that guy that was in a cameo with super bad <laughs> my first thought and then I was like then I reverted back to yeah he was the guy in uh, Grounded for Life but just kind of going in with no expectations of it being good at all and then actually being pretty uh, pretty surprised that it was a really good movie you know that's something I've kind of found about uh cinema nowadays is is uh the part of the problem now with trailers and with marketing is you get people really hyped up for a movie and then uh it being maybe just a mediocre movie and being completely like let down because your expectations built it up to be something greater than what it was and uh that really seems to be an issue that i currently have uh with certain movies but then I, there are times where I, I found lackluster trailers um, and lackluster marketing and going into a movie. And the biggest one I can think of that comes to mind right now is Pacific Rim. Like the trailers for that wasn't impressed. I was pretty much seeing it because it was a Guillermo del Toro movie. Um, and I, I mean, I'm like, yeah, the story doesn't seem like anything. I don't really care. It just seems like it's going to be a, a no brain movie. But then when I went into it, I really enjoyed it, and I really liked it. So I think like when you can temper your expectations, go, okay, this can either be really great or really bad, but why don't I just go, okay, I'm going to go in it with no preconceived notions. I think that's that's the biggest problem right now with certain movies. I think like with even with Justice League, uh, as much as I want to see and hope that they will eventually one day release the Snyder Cut, um... I still enjoyed Justice League. Like everyone that was kind of panning it uh, and, and not liking it criti- critically, uh, I still went there and I enjoyed it. And I can still enjoy it for what it is. It's not perfect. Uh, I think DC needs to really kind of 
get on the ball, and I think they've started to course correct. Uh, they need to be able to do something movie-wise if they really want to kind of reboot this uh, this cinematic universe a little bit uh, that allows us to kind of make these differentiations because I know, like, so far we're pretty much keeping Jason Momoa as Aquaman. We're keeping Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. It sounds like Ezra Miller's still staying on for Flash, but Ray Fisher's moved on. Ben Affleck has moved on. We don't know what the hell is going on with Henry Cavill. Um, and Shazam has been been a success. Uh, and now that they're saying that Robert Pattinson's Batman is going to fit into or potentially pay in the ne- in their Justice League reboot movie, uh, that's they've got to do something to address that. Like regardless of what you think about the casting of Robert Pattinson as Batman, um, they need to make this fit. Now, I think what they're doing, going to do right, uh, and, I, and I think that this is what they've done right in their animated movies, is that they're going to have some in-continuity movies and some out-continuity movies, Joker being one of those movies. Like, as much as I want to see Batman show up in this movie or show, uh, have Joaquin Phoenix's Joker show up in a Batman movie or even in Robert Pattinson's Batman movie, which they said is not going to happen... Um, they're going to do these out-continuity movies. And since they have this concept of the multiverse, and they're really exploring that within this crisis uh, on Infinite Earths crossover on uh, the CW, I really think like they need to introduce that concept within the movie universe so then they can do that, and then they can kind of use those out-of-continuity movies as testing grounds and see, okay, this is what they liked about this movie, this is what they disliked about that movie. How can we incorporate those good things into our new movies? So that's just, you know, an expectation thing is is really uh, key now. I think that's a great thing to say, going into it with no expectations about whether or not it was going to be good or bad. That's how I approach almost any horror film. I've watched a lot of really bad, really low-budget horror films, but there's still something I can find to enjoy about them. You got anything to add to that? Uh, no, I mean, I think going into uh, into any movie with low expectations and being surprised when it's good is just kind of the best way to go about it. Absolutely. Well, I know. Uh, I not watch the trailer. <laughs> if I'm if I'm watching something on like any streaming service, I don't watch the trailer. Well, I I. Right into it. I will watch a trailer, but I, I don't think I will watch, like, the, like, sixth trailer that they released for it, you know? I think one of the best best things, especially for Joker right now, is they've only released two trailers, and I've only seen them basically when they first show up online and if I've gone to the movie theater, and it shows it in front of the movie I'm watching. I think if you watch trailers incessantly, and I think if you watch clips incessantly, that's something that can diminish a movie for you. Um, and especially if they are not smart and and trying to make sure they're not revealing everything. I think that was the glorious thing about Avengers Endgame. They didn't do anything. One, they put fake scenes in there to kind of throw you off the scent of some things, and they didn't reveal major story plots. They just kind of showed scenes without a context, so you didn't know what you were getting when you're going into it. Um, So that's just something on the current state of, of cinema as it is. Uh, I know I was going to try to go see Ad Astra this weekend, but there are some things about that movie that I'm, I am uh, not quite happy about. Um, so I, I don't think I'm going to get out to see it in theaters. Uh, I might 
if I can, you know, manage to actually sit down and watch all the Rambos at one point, go out and see the new Rambo movie, because it's kind of the exact opposite of the issues I have with uh, what I've heard about Ad Astra. Um, I don't know if I'll get a chance to get that in time to review for the podcast, but I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for this episode of Critics Not Cynics. Uh, you can follow the podcast on Apple iTunes uh, or Apple Podcasts and follow over on Podbean. And uh, if you are so kind to uh, go over and leave a rating and a review on iTunes, that kind of helps make the podcast more viewable uh, for people to kind of find and discover. And uh, it really helps us out if you have just a few seconds. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at CriticsNTCynics. Uh, if you want to write into the podcast to have any uh, thing that you want brought up on the show or any movies you want discussed or TV shows you want discussed, you can write us at criticsnotcynics at gmail.com. And unfortunately, uh, as uh, Crystal kind of found out this week, uh, this week, I don't quite like this, but Critics Not Cynics has an official Instagram now. And uh, it's not had a whole lot of posts yet, but... Um, once I figure out what's going on there and how they really use that, you guys can follow me over there on, on Instagram. You can just look for Critics Not Cynics. So, all right, guys. Well, we'll talk to you next week.